Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Something uh, sudden happened just now. It was quiet. The night sounds. It was dark. Suddenly a bell rang and the lights came on. And then suddenly a human voice is interjecting in the insects and the frogs. So we can notice like this when we pay attention, there are these times when things change rapidly and abruptly and suddenly. But then also there's a way in which things are changing constantly. And changing constantly in this way that we don't always perceive until we become quiet and start tuning in. And then we can start to notice that actually everything is changing. In fact, when you look for something that is not changing, it's impossible to find it in our experiential life. So that's actually what I want to talk to you about uh, tonight, is about some of these universal characteristics of existence. So particularly uh, three characteristics that the Buddha pointed out that it's helpful for us to train in the perception of, which we don't usually see. And the not seeing of them keeps us tied in our endless round of futile chasing after things that will not satisfy us. So this is the three marks of existence or the three characteristics that you might be familiar with. And in case there's any uh, long timers here who are like, oh yeah, I know this. I could recite them, English, Pali, all the way. Beware the mind that thinks it knows. Because if we really knew, we would be completely free. There's ways in which we can keep having insights into some of these similar things uh, from the first time that we encounter the Dhamma, from the first time we actually do uh, meditation practice. And then these same insights can keep coming at different levels. You know, we get it in different ways all the way through our uh, practice life all the way through to complete liberation. So if the I already know mind has taken hold, you can tell that uh, I know everything mind to uh, go out and to take a walk in the night. And uh, it's probably a manifestation of Mara too. Yeah, see if there's something that can be learned from this. So yeah, the one that's the most um, obvious in some ways, the first of these that I want to talk about is this impermanence, or anicca is the Pali word. So 
that everything in the world is in constant flux, that everything is always changing. So in our practice here, in the sitting, in the walking, in some ways we're invited in to pay exquisite attention, you know, very detailed attention to what is happening through the world of the senses. So what it's like to breathe, what it's like to take a step. So all these things that we do automatically, we're invited to pay attention to what that's like. What's that like in the movement, what it's like in the body. And then from this, if we're paying attention, these universalities become revealed. So a change. There's not one single moment in a sitting, even in this short sitting we did just now, that's the same. The experience of the body changes, temperature changes, the thoughts going through your mind change, emotions change, the sounds change. So because everything is always changing, then nothing in this life can actually be maintained in some stable state in a way that can satisfy us. Think about that. Nothing can be maintained in a stable state in a way that can satisfy us. I saw a a short film about Cuba recently. I have not been there, but Uh, In this film, they show that um, people had these cars that were actually from the 50s uh, and before because of the U.S. not trading with Cuba, uh, they weren't able to buy uh, newer cars uh, since like Castro came into power, like 1960 or something. So there's very old cars, like 30s, 40s, 50s on the road. I was like, how is that? But so in the... um, Documentary, they interview the car owners and basically they've changed out everything inside the car. You know, like everything has fallen apart and these cars have gotten transferred from uh, generation to generation. Like now it's the third generation has these cars and they put a new engine in, new spark plugs, new this, new that, new paint, everything. So it looks like the same car, but it's actually really not the same car. So the most uh, relevant thing you could say or aspect of life that we care about is ourselves. So maybe you don't care about Cuban cars and whether they last or not, or even your car. But what about your body? So it feels like the body is pretty solid, right? Like it feels like, oh yeah, this is me, and yeah, it's my body, and I kind of know I'm getting older, Maybe some parts aren't working the way that I want them to anymore, but um, yeah, basically it's been the same me yeah, this year, this week at least. Or is that true? So it seems like it's true, but part of our Dhamma practice investigation is to see like, yeah, maybe things aren't as they appear. You know, what's actually true about this? So for example, our bodies are made three quarters of water apparently, uh, similar to the surface of the earth. And I've heard that every uh, seven days, this um, water gets replenished, you know, so you basically get rid of the old water through peeing and sweating and 
crying and stuff like that. Uh, and then you refill it up. So sometimes I think of ourselves as like these Brita filters, like we're constantly pouring water and it's kind of like going down, pouring water, going down, right? So every seven days you become like uh, completely replenished of water. And uh, actually when I came here, I had been uh, teaching in Finland um, and I was there until October 4th. So when I came here the 9th, I was actually halfway made of Finnish water and halfway made of <laughs> California water. But now through this uh, rest of this week, the transformation is complete. So I'm uh, back to Californian uh, water. You know. And so all of you, wherever you came from, also now you are also made almost entirely of spirit rock water, right? Five, five nights. So you've, we've all become very much the same in that way. But even as we feel our body sitting here and feel what seems to be the solidity, all this stuff is happening that we can't perceive uh, at any given time. So I'm going to read you something from the uh, New York Times, an article called Your Body is Younger Than You Think. So this is for those of you who are science Although people may think of their body as a fairly permanent structure, most of it is in a state of constant flux, as old cells are discarded and new ones are generated in their place. Each tissue has its own turnover time, depending in part on the workload endured by its cells. The cells lining the stomach last only five days. So the ones you came with are pretty much gone, right? The red blood cells bruised and battered after traveling nearly a thousand miles through the maze of the body's circulatory system lasts only 120 days or so on average before being dispatched to their graveyard in the spleen. The epidermis, or the surface layer of the skin, is recycled every two weeks or so. The reason for the quick replacement is that this is the body's saran wrap, and it can be easily damaged by scratching, solvents, wear and tear, says an expert on the skin's stem cells. As for the liver, the detoxifier of all the natural plant poisons and drugs that pass a person's lips, its life on the chemical warfare front is quite short. An adult human liver probably has a turnover time of 300 to 500 days, so one to two years. Other tissues have lifetimes measured in years, not days, but are still far from permanent. Even the bones endure a nonstop makeover. The entire human skeleton is thought to be replaced every 10 years or so in adults. As twin construction crews of bone dissolving and bone rebuilding cells combine to remodel it. So that's what's going on in your body. Yeah. So actually constant change, you know, constant change that we can't perceive at that level uh, very much of the time. When we start to tune in and we gain some collectiveness of attention, some, some samadhi, some concentration, uh, sometimes people have experiences of the body as an energy field. You know, as a changing mass of energy that doesn't feel solid anymore. So if that's happened to you at some times during the retreat, uh, that is not wrong. That is not some freakish thing, like actually uh, perceiving the energetic change in the body. So what this means, now it's cars, it's your body, it's nature, it's this building, it's everything is in change, in flux, right? So... What this means is that seeking happiness in this life through things, through stability of our physical body, our appearance, and even other people uh, is an illusion. 
And even if you have something that lasts a really long time, like say you have um, uh, like something that seems to outlast a uh, human, like a, a really big diamond or something, or you know, even then, uh, eventually you and that will be parted through your death. I know some people get parrots as pets, and parrots actually live for like 60 years or something, right? Like 60, 80 years. So it's like you buy a parrot, and then you have to figure out a plan for it in your will, you know, if you bought it as an adult, because the parrot will likely outlive you, yeah. So, yeah, it's like, it's sobering to think, like, yeah, this change is part of life, and do we face that? What's our relationship to that? So because of this, then, life is stressful. So Chaz spoke about this uh, in relationship to the first noble truth, this dukkha. You know, the Buddha described dukkha as uh, birth, death, aging, sickness, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, not getting what you want, being forced to be in proximity to what you don't want, uh, yeah, not getting your way, and then in short, the five clinging aggregates ties it all up with that. So uh, there is this strain, stress, unsatisfactoriness based on the unreliability of phenomenon. We cannot rely on this body, right? We cannot rely on anything to last in the way that we want it to. We're in some ways so used to that through the physical body that we don't think about it that much until it's hard to get our needs met. So it was a really beautiful day here, wasn't it? This is like kind of like, uh, yeah, really glorious Northern California fall day. And this place here is also gorgeous. You know, they've done really nice architecture and uh, the land is beautiful, the fresh air, the sky, you know. At some point during the day when it was really warm, uh, in the middle of the day, uh, I got out my shorts some of you did too, right? It's like, yay. Uh, and then I think I went inside for a while. I came out uh, around the tea time and suddenly it was too cold to wear shorts, right? It was like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> we have to constantly actually change things to suit the needs of the body, you know? Uh, it was too hot before, now it's too cold. Even the going to the tea, it's like, oh, I'm hungry. Then it's like, I'm thirsty. Then it's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Right? Then it's like, I'm tired, I need to sleep. Then it's like, oh yeah, I need to take a shower. You know, Like we're used to this kind of grind, but it's, it's constant. You know, and there's no escape from it in this like, animal body. Hunger, thirst, sleepiness, uh, temperature not suiting us. You know? And we spend huge amounts of energy actually trying to uh, figure out like decent circumstances for ourselves, like pleasant circumstances. And the Buddha talks about this kind of uh, dukkha, this kind of um, difficulty. And, you know, there's the one kind that often is a catalyst for people to come to practice, which is like, sometimes called dukkha dukkha, like big time dukkha. (laughs) So it's like something really bad happens to you in your life or something jarring, unexpected, you know. You lose a job, somebody dies, you're diagnosed with an illness, uh, relationship breaks up. Uh, yeah, some, some of the big difficulties of life 
kind of throw a lot of people into some kind of search. Uh, and then they end up here in this beautiful temple. So if that's your case, then uh, you're in good company. Actually, good company not just here at Spirit Rock, but for 2,600 years uh, <laughs> on the Dharma path, I would say. But then also there's a way in which, uh, you know, this, the body itself is inherently not going to be satisfied. So this constant kind of distress that we have and need to adjust, you know, the body being subject to discomfort. And nothing is going to last that long for comfort. So that's also unsatisfying or unreliable. And another way in which this dukkha can be uh, understood is also something very basic about uh, the way we relate to our senses. So I've been talking a lot about these six senses and how we take an experience through them. And you know, for most of us who are not fully awakened, our strategy for well-being is basically, as I've said before, uh, line up pleasant experience through the senses. And so if you pay attention, you could see the way in which you're constantly doing that, you know, the way in which the, uh, yeah, the attention is going from place to place in the senses, seeking something that is pleasant. One of my teachers said, uh, it's like, you know, it's almost like consciousness is like this spider in the middle of a web with six sections, and it's constantly going to the different sections, gobbling up experience, gobbling up different sense experience, and uh, seeking pleasure, and running away from displeasure. The Buddha himself had a a metaphor for this. Um, In one teaching he said, you know, what if someone had six animals? So a snake, a crocodile a bird, a monkey, a dog, and a hyena. And then they, uh, they, got, they tied a leash on each of them, or like a rope on each of them, and then they tied all those ropes together, like in one uh, thing. So now these six animals are tied together, right? I don't know how you got a leash on some of them, but just uh, <laughs> on the snake, for example. But okay, so then each of them wants to go to their own place, right? So the snake wants to go to its hole in the ground. The crocodile wants to go back to the river, to the water. Uh, The bird wants to go to the sky. Uh, The dog wants to go back to its home. Uh, The hyena wants to go back to the the jungle. Here maybe I should say coyote for this metaphor, right? The coyote wants to go back to the forest. Um, So like this, like all of these animals are like fighting to get to their place, you know, their place of their comfort and stuff. So it's a lot of chaos, right? These six animals tied together, like, whoa, and who's stronger? And, you know, so in some ways, you know, but they're saying like, yeah, the untrained attention, the unawakened mind, it's basically like uh, seeking pleasure through each of these senses and whichever is the strongest, like we're going to go there. And then it gets, you know, satisfied there for a little while, but, but it doesn't last long, you know? Like even, like you taste good food and then, you have that, but then there's always an end. Like, you can't just keep eating that same thing, like, endlessly, right? Like, you get full or you get sick of it, or at a certain point, even that pleasure turns to displeasure, you know? So in this way, too, this is uh, unsatisfying, and there's, there's actually this unseen stress that's there, you know, in our basic existence when we're like constantly seeking something pleasant to rest in, to find refuge in, you know. 
And sometimes it's happening on a subtle level, sometimes on an extremely unsubtle level. <laughs> you know? But see, see if this is true. You could check it out in your own experience and see if this is true. So this is two of the three characteristics. So impermanence, and then dukkha. This dukkha is the unreliability or unsatisfactoriness. So then the third one we come to is uh, anatta. And they're all kind of corollaries of each other. So, okay, because everything is always changing, uh, yeah, there's nowhere to stand within experience. There's no place to to permanently find refuge. But also what it means if everything's always changing, even the word thing doesn't make sense. Like there's actually no things. Everything is actually in process all the time. So as I described the body, it's this constant um, cell, uh, sort of like uh, birth and death zone, you know. Like that's what the body is. Like things are being born and things are dying. Things are being born and things are dying. And that's actually true of everything, like all the time. And everything is made up of composites too. So nothing is independent, separate, completely divorced from everything else. And specifically when we point this to ourselves, like what we call ourselves, uh, we can't find some permanent, enduring, independent and controlling entity that's in charge of it all. So if there was, then certainly your retreat would have unfolded differently, wouldn't it? So if you could have actually uh, queued up the experiences of your body and the experiences of your mind, uh, like you were making an iTunes playlist or something like that, uh, you probably could have done it differently, right? You could have done a better job. <laughs> like you might not have put in any physical pain, uh, you might not have put in chaotic mental states. You might not have put in unpleasant experiences, right? So uh, the fact that it unfolded in whatever way it has so far, and still is, in fact, is a sign that like, oh yeah, there's not like a me who's really in charge of this in some way. So Anatta points to, in some ways, the selflessness uh, of experience, uh, or uh, in some ways like that which we call, uh, that we, we usually take to be ourselves, is an error, you could say. So everything is being created, everything is falling apart at the same time. So, you know, there's many different Buddhist lists, and um, here's one list that you might recognize. You might have seen this today. Squash, apples, leeks, sage, chickpea, miso, lemon juice, olive oil, sunflower oil, salt and pepper. Anyone recognize this list? Yes, this was the soup you ate today. <laughs> so this was the butternut squash apple soup. So from these ingredients, at some point, there was no soup, right? The soup didn't exist. There were these different ingredients, squash, apple, leeks, all this stuff, right? And at some point, all of those were separately living their lives, right? In different fields and the the lemon was on a tree, and uh, leeks were growing in the ground, sage was in a bush, right? Uh, olives were in a tree somewhere. So this is like the biography of the soup now, okay? So at some point the soup didn't exist, and all this stuff was different places. And then they all got picked, they all got transported here, human effort, right? 
And then uh, some of you are involved in this, cutting leeks, apples, squash and stuff, I'm sure, the veggie choppers. And then the cooks put it together, probably this afternoon, and then for a brief period of time, maybe a couple hours, uh, in existence was something we could call uh, butternut squash apple soup. So it sort of like was, um, in some ways, like kind of idling there. Like I think like, you know, a car with the engine on it was there waiting for us. Then, ding, bell rang, we went down, got ladled out into a hundred different bowls, slurped up, end of the soup, right? (laughs) Or was it? Like actually the soup is still here in this room, but now in a hundred different containers in some way, right? So it's living on in a different form. So did it exist or did it not exist? Right. And so in some way, temporarily, that existed for a bit, but it came together and then it fell apart. Right. And this is happening with everything. You know, even this beautiful building here, you could tell this story about anything. There's the, the wood of the floor. You know, there's the cement for the walls. You know, there's the uh, glass for the windows. Uh, there's a heat from the, the light, you know, all this stuff. And all this was pulled together uh, like a couple decades ago. Uh, and it's also constantly falling apart. You know, they have a maintenance department here that's fixing things up. And and yeah, we don't know how long Spirit Rock will last here. You know, will it be here 100 y- years from now? Will it be here 200 years from now? If so, will it be here in this form or will there be a different building here? Uh, don't know, you know, so... In some ways, uh, at this very moment, we're all part of the soup of spirit rock, right? So here's the container, we're all here, you know, on retreat, right? Last week was a different ingredients in the soup, yeah? Next week will be different ingredients in the soup, yeah? And, right. So this is constantly happening, you know, everything, everything comes together, everything falls apart, everything comes together, everything falls apart. And this is the kind of thing that we don't perceive. And in the misperception of that, we take things to be permanent, we take arrangements to be permanent, we get attached to that which is inherently already slipping through our hand like sand. You know, It's already gone. In every moment, things are going, 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 like that. Yeah. But because we're not paying attention, we don't notice that. So then we get surprised, you know, we get surprised, we get disappointed and we suffer when things change. Whether that's our body, whether that's relationships, whether it's politics, whether it's the weather, whether it's day to night sometimes, you know. So these three characteristics are among the aspects of the Dhamma that it's very helpful for us to learn about, to see through our own direct experience, and in that way then to align ourselves with that, to live life understanding that these things are true. So live life understanding that this body is an organic animal entity, took birth, has lived this long, but will surely die. This physical body, all of us, all of our physical bodies are headed in that direction. We don't know how long we have to live, right? And it's not a mistake. You know, when you start to discover this stuff about dukkha, it's like, oh, wow. For some people it can be disappointing, but sometimes it can actually be relieving. Because there's a way in which if you have been trying to live your life 
seeking refuge in all these things, experiences, relationships that you thought would last and they keep not lasting, it's not your fault, you know? Like you finally found the perfect job and then like a bunch of people left or the organization changed or it's not your fault, you know? It's, it's not like uh, something that you did wrong. It's actually inherent in the nature of organizations that that's gonna happen. Same thing even in relationships, you know, children grow. Even adults grow in different ways. So relationships have to change and morph. And if that's happening in your life, it's not necessarily because of something you did. It's just part of the way things are. So the more we can understand this and live life in harmony with this, then the less unnecessary suffering that there is. So still difficult things will happen, but then we'll be less surprised and disappointed by them, you could say. There's a a Japanese uh, form of uh, art called wabi-sabi. And it's kind of uh, like taking into account these three characteristics. So the the art is like um, a piece of ceramic pottery that's not perfect, basically. It's like cracked a little or something. And I've heard some articulations of kind of the principles behind it that are somewhat similar to this. So it's like, uh, nothing lasts, nothing is perfect, and nothing is finished. Nothing lasts, nothing is perfect, nothing is finished. So if we pay attention, we start to see this to be true. You know, we start to see this as, as actually just nature. It's just nature. It's the nature of the body. It's the nature of our sense experiences. It's the nature of everything that's here. So now this doesn't mean that, uh, you know, even because nothing can be maintained in a stable state for the long term, that we don't maintain anything. Um, So I remember um, talking to a young person who had just heard about this and was like, oh wow, so that means like, you shouldn't be attached to anything. Uh, and so that means you shouldn't really have relationships with people, right? Because then you're, you're just going to get attached to them, they're going to change, it's going to be disappointing. So I was like, you know, the thing is that because this is true of everything, uh, for example, your pants are also going to be subject to this law, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't wear pants, right? <laughs> you know, your pants are also impermanent, they're going to get worn out, they're going to uh, get torn, right? But if you could actually live your life understanding that about your pants, right? Even your favorite pants, if you could actually understand that they're not going to last forever. Uh, So you could mend them, you know, when they need to be mended. You could take care of them. You could wash them. But uh, then if it eventually came time that they were worn out and you had to get rid of them or turn them into cleaning rags, uh, you could do that with some uh, appreciation for their service, but uh, without suffering. So it doesn't mean that you can't live in this world where everything changes. It just means that we can, in some ways, have an appropriate relationship with everything. So the Buddha and all awakened beings, in fact, continue to live in this world. So when the Buddha finished his uh, journey to awakening, uh, he continued, continued like wandering around in India, teaching. He had to eat and drink. Uh, he gave talks to people. 
his community had uh, difficulties. His body actually continued to hurt him. So he had some back pain from his years of uh, intense austerities he did. And at, at one point in the suttas, he says to Ananda, his attendant, and my body is like an old cart held together by straps. So it wasn't like awakening meant he had some shiny, perfect body of light that wasn't subject to the laws of nature, you know. And eventually he too got old. He actually got sick. He ate something that uh, poisoned him and he died. But in the meantime, you know, as he went through life and uh, encountered the vicissitudes, the thing that changed is the mind. So the mind was free from greed, hatred, delusion. You know, mind can see clearly how things are. And in some ways, if we're able to recognize that, you know, recognize that everything is always changing, recognize that there's no solidity to anything, including, most importantly, ourself, then we can be free from ideas that we hold very tightly about ourself as permanent. You know, I'm like this, I'm like that, you're like this, you're like that. And then we can relate to everything appropriately, everyone appropriately. So there's periods of time in which we are aligned with this and you can notice this, you know. And there's ways in which, you know, again, like we have already tuned into this. Um, Like the thing about the pants, you know, like you probably except for maybe your favorite, favorite pair of pants, um, have already figured this out, that all of your pants are going to wear out eventually, right? Uh, sometimes small children haven't. So I have a, a small uh, child in my life who at one point, like they wanted to wear their ballet outfit all the time. And um, at some point they spilled some yogurt on it and it devastated them, you know? Like they didn't understand that this could be cleaned and so they were just like totally... Uh, thrown by that, right? And now as like adults, we understand like, oh, okay, uh, it could be washed. Maybe if it can't, maybe then we're not going to wear that anymore, right? <laughs> Similarly, you know, if uh, small children, they build a sandcastle and if the wave comes and wipes it out, like some kids can get really upset about that, right? It's like devastating. Like they didn't know that was going to happen, you know? Like they spent all this time building it and then it's like destroyed. It's so sad, but now as adults, we know like that's actually one of the, the cool things about sandcastles is their ephemeral nature, you know? Like it's made of nothing but grains of sand. And yet, you know, you put water and you can build these amazing features on it. And the fact that it's going to fall apart actually makes it all the more beautiful and amazing. So there's a way in which learning about this and aligning ourselves with this can actually give us this greater appreciation for and even reverence for and presence in our lives. So it's, it doesn't have to be scary. You know, this is where they, it can be very liberating uh, as we learn about this on deeper and deeper levels. And the good news is we have a great opportunity to do that because we're on retreat. So conditions are all set for us to continue learning about this, for us to continue seeing this. You don't need to try too hard in some special way. You know, just now that you've 
you heard about this stuff, like just as you're practicing, just be curious a little bit, but yeah, just continue, continue the practice with awareness. And then all this will unfold. We have everything we need here, the body, the mind, the senses. All of this can be revealed such that this becomes the understanding you have through your own direct experience. Not because you heard it, not because you read it, not because you listened to a talk about it. So and then as we become naturally acting and relating with things, the truth of the way they are, uh, we have much more peace, much more happiness, are freed from suffering and delusion. And then we can actually be there much more for others also, have so much more space in our life uh, to help others and to serve our community. So thank you for listening to this talk about Tilakana, Three Characteristics. Wishing all of you uh, continued deepening of your practice. May wisdom arise, may your own Dharma eye open. You can be free from suffering and all the causes of suffering. You can let go of the words. Come back into connection with the body. Can hear the sounds. Maybe now understanding the way in which the body is always changing, in which our life is of unknown length, we can pay attention, can show some love to this breath, this fragile body. Can connect with its miraculous and messy existence with loving awareness. Can hold with compassion all of our fellow hungry, thirsty, itchy, temperature-driven animal friends here, human and other.
So half an hour for uh, animal